Um, let me just replug quickly. Uh, at four o'clock today for the city. I had a, a public school teacher uh, contact me um, this week, and super excited that uh, for our Florida City a prayer time this month that we're going to uh, a public school to pray. And just as a public school teacher, she was so grateful for that. So if you can join us at four o'clock today at Eastway Middle, uh, I know it's a big deal. Uh, to the folks, uh, and we're going to pray over the children in our city and the teachers in our city and encourage you to be a part of that. And also, if you look at that card, the, uh, the, the Family Fun Day card, there's a map on the back of that. Since you're here, I assume you don't need that. Uh, um, but the reason there's a map on there is so you can give this to someone else. Uh, so you can use this as an opportunity to invite family, friends, neighbors, whatnot, to come and be a part of that. So take that with you, and, and if you, you prayerfully consider you know, giving that to someone this week and inviting them to come be a part of that. There's a gospel presentation. It's a lot of fun. Gospel presentations could be great. That's this Saturday. So I just want to point that out to you. All right, well, praise the Lord. We're going to continue this morning our ongoing summer study of kingdom living as we continue to walk through uh, the Ten Commandments and just kind of get us focused and moving this morning. As you're able, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God, we're going to read together Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is what the Bible says. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Can we read that again? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, in case you don't know it, there's been a great deal of scientific research done on and around the subject of lying. I looked at a lot of it, actually, this past week or so, and, and, and a tremendous amount whoops, of scientific research has led us to understand people lie a lot. Uh, apparently, lying is a fairly universal problem that seems to be somewhat inherent in the human condition. In fact, researchers have determined that by six months of age, Six months old, children have already learned how to manipulate their parents. They've, they've learned how to fake cry uh, and fake needs in order to get things they want by six months of age. Oh, they look sweet and innocent, but don't you buy it. More troublesome than that, according to neurological studies, the more you lie, the easier it becomes for you to lie. So that over time, lying can become a hardwired pattern of response. In other words, lying can become your default automatic go-to response, the very first thing your brain tells you to do. And it's worth noting that lying, according to research, repeated lying can impact your memory. Because apparently the more you repeat a lie, the more likely your brain is to conclude the lie actually happened. All of that's a huge problem for Christians since the Bible plainly says you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Or again, do not spread false reports. Or better to be poor than a liar. Or the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who are truthful. Or a false witness will not go unpunished. And he who pours out lies will perish. All of these and a bunch more like them, prohibitions against lying in the Old Testament, apparently prompted the Apostle Paul to write in the New Testament, do not lie to each other. 
since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. In other words, Paul says Christians ought not lie because lying belongs to the old nature. That, 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 that old way of thinking and, and acting and living that we used to walk in before we became followers of Jesus. But once you are a follower of Jesus, Paul says lying should remain in your past. Now let me just go ahead and say, I could take months, I promise, to unpack this one commandment. And I actually may try and do that sometime down the road. There is so much here that deserves attention related to this one commandment. Obviously, there's no time to touch anything like that this morning. So with the time I have left, I'm going to limit myself to a brief consideration of three areas that this commandment, where this commandment impacts your life right now. And I'm going to talk very briefly about how this commandment impacts you regarding politics, social media, and being a disciple of Jesus. Now, as we've already noted, the general thrust of this commandment is that you ought not lie. But the specific context of the commandment is in reference to civil or criminal court. In other words, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor is in its very narrowest sense a prohibition against perjury. It's saying you shall not go into court and attest to things that are not so which serves as a truly powerful reminder that God is a God of truth and justice and that the perversion of justice is a very serious offense indeed. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, the law of God in the Old Testament required that if a witness in court was found to be lying, he was to be given the exact same consequence that would have come on the person against whom he was bearing false witness should that person have been convicted of the charges. In other words, if you falsely accused someone of a crime that would result in a $1,000 fine, you had to pay a $1,000 fine. If you falsely accused someone of a crime that would result in 50 years in prison, you had to spend 50 years in prison. Talk about an ultimate, absolute, divine sense of justice. God wants truth and justice. And he wants it especially from his own children. So, when it comes to politics, everyone likes to talk about politics. When it comes to politics, if something is wrong according to God, then God expects you to say it's wrong. No matter who says it, no matter who does it, no matter how common or popular it may be. And if something is right according to God, God expects you to say that it's right, no matter who may disagree with you and no matter how unpopular it may be. In other words, God expects Christians to play a prophetic, truth-telling role in the realm of politics. And so God warns through the prophet Isaiah, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God says, Woe to you, whomever you may be, if you call evil good or good evil. 
So let me just get a little bit more specific. If you are a huge supporter of the president, and he says something that's contrary to the word or the will or the ways of God, as a follower of Jesus, you cannot defend that. If the content of what he says is contrary to God, you cannot defend that content. And if the tone of what he says is contrary to the heart of God, you cannot defend the tone, even while perhaps standing by the content. You may not, as a follower of Jesus, defend pettiness or meanness or arrogance. I don't care who says it or what they're trying to accomplish for the nation. The Bible is clear. Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent. The Lord detests them both. So while I'm at it, let me go to the other side of the spectrum and say plainly, I've heard an awful lot of people condemn President Trump for being crude and mean-spirited using words at least as crude and mean-spirited as anything they claimed to be offended by. Christians need to engage meaningfully in the political process, but you need to do it in ways that glorify God and that reflect biblical Christian kingdom principles. There's something twisted and hypocritical about condemning mean and hateful comments by using mean and hateful comments. So if the president does or says something ungodly, it's a sin for you to excuse it just because you want him to win the next election. And if someone says something ungodly about the president, it's a sin for you to excuse it just because you don't like him or his politics. And while we're talking about politics, let me just go ahead and urge you to slow down a little bit when it comes to jumping to angry or impassioned conclusions. Heed the wisdom of the Bible. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because I promise you there is a whole world of professional manipulators out there who are counting on you ignoring the wisdom of these words. Politicians and pundits and media hucksters who twist and distort the things they tell you because they want to get you angry. They are trying to get you up in arms because they want to use you to advance their own political agendas. They serve up dishes of truth mixed with error, designed to appeal to your appetites while distorting and poisoning your sensibilities. So the next time you're tempted to fly off the handle after watching 20 minutes of Sean Hannity or George Stephanopoulos or Chris Cuomo or whomever you watch, Remember these words of the Apostle James. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. The world is not going to end because you took some time to breathe before responding uh, to the latest rant by Megan Rapino. The ninth commandment has so much to say 
about modern politics because it so plainly forbids false or harmful speech. So in context, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In large part means you shall not pervert justice, which the Bible further expounds on in Leviticus chapter 19. Do not pervert justice, it says. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbors fairly. Judge your neighbors with equity. I want you to notice the absolute justice of God in these words. True justice means guilty parties should not get off because they're rich or famous or popular. And true justice means guilty parties should not get off because they're poor or underprivileged or sympathetic. Under the true justice of God, innocent parties should go free and guilty parties should not. No doubt, human history is crammed, packed with countless examples of egregious, grotesque miscarriages of justice. And no doubt, the vast, vast majority of them are cases of wealthy, well-heeled, or well-connected scoundrels getting away, sometimes literally, with murder. But today, in 21st century American politics, there is a very aggressive, very intentional movement to pervert justice in the opposite direction, to allow people to break laws because they're poor and sympathetic. And because so many people are pushing this agenda today and couching it in terms of compassion and sometimes couching it in terms of Christianity, lots of people, including lots of young people, and lots of young Christians are totally confused about what the word justice even means anymore. The truth is, today, almost no one ever uses the word justice according to its actual definition. Instead, the term justice has been almost totally replaced with the term social justice, which in all honesty very often is the exact opposite of actual justice. Historically, injustice has usually meant the wealthy and prominent get judged less harshly than the poor. That's not acceptable. That's not okay in the eyes of God, and it shouldn't be okay anywhere else. Biblical justice calls for consistent and equitable treatment for all, whether rich or poor. Today, however, social justice is often calling for the rich to be judged more harshly than the poor. And sometimes it's calling for the poor to be excused for their crimes altogether just because they're poor. I assure you, there is nothing biblical about that. Now, I want to urge you at this point, let me just stop and urge you to be super careful you don't leave here and say all sorts of things, accuse me of all sorts of things I never said and I don't believe. Let me say plainly, Christians must love the poor. We have been sent by God to love people and to bring his kingdom blessings 
to as many people as we possibly can. And there is a unique and special challenge to go to the poor in that regard. You ought to care deeply. And whenever you can, you ought to work diligently to alleviate human suffering in all its forms. You should care about clean water in Somalia and sex trafficking in Amsterdam. You should care about orphan care in Cambodia and joblessness, rampant joblessness among Native American young people. You should care deeply that a huge percentage of African Americans in this nation worry that they will be mistreated by law enforcement. You should care that thousands and thousands of addicted and mentally ill people are living on the streets of our nation. And you should care about the poor of Central America and the sorts of conditions that would move so many of them to risk life and limb attempting to sneak into this country in an effort to find a better life. You should care deeply about all of that, and whenever possible, you should look for opportunities to make a difference. But having said that, you should also care that people who break the law face the consequences of their actions, whether rich or poor, black, white, Hispanic, or otherwise. Listen carefully. The reason we know we should care for the poor is because the Bible tells us to. And it is exactly that same Bible that tells us do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbors fairly. Proverbs chapter 6 says, Listen, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet, if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. Here is the biblical standard. We must have compassion for the poor. But genuine compassion for the poor does not excuse criminal activity. The ninth commandment is a commandment not to pervert justice. Not for the rich and well-connected, and not for the poor and underprivileged. Don't lie to protect a rich man because you hope he may repay you later. And don't lie to protect a poor man because you feel sorry for him. Compassion and mercy may very well move you to provide him food or clothing or a job or shelter, may move you to provide money for his bail. But biblical compassion will never move you to discount the wrongness of that which is wrong. Indeed, God forgives you when you confess and repent of your sin, not when you justify and excuse them. Moving on from politics, you should note that while all the commandments are aimed specifically at the heart, this one is uniquely targets the mouth, addressing very specifically the things you say about other people. But with the explosion of social media in the last few years, there's been a remarkable transformation 
in how and where people say things. So that today, many of you may be more apt to violate the ninth commandment typing on your phones or on your iPads than actually speaking with your tongue. The use of technology and social media platforms has expanded much faster than our willingness to think ethically about them. In fact, research reveals that people are far more likely to lie writing an email or some, using some other form of electronic communication than writing with actual pen and paper, in part because electronic media seem more detached and anonymous, and in part because electronic communications are so much more instant that people tend to fail to stop and think about what they're writing and the possible consequences of it. The Bible says you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And Martin Luther explains it this way in his small catechism. We should fear and love God that we may not deceitfully belie, betray, slander, nor defame our neighbor, but defend him, speak well of him, and put the best construction on everything. That's a whopper. In other words, the heart of God in this commandment is not merely that you not lie. It's not merely that you not pervert justice. It's not merely that you not use your words to harm. The heart of God is that you use your words to bless and protect. That you love God and love people with the words you use, and, I might add, with what you're willing to tolerate in the words other people use around you. I regularly teach the young men in my microgroups that silence is almost always interpreted as consent. That means if you're sitting in a group of people and somebody starts insulting Christians or insulting people who uh, oppose abortion or, or whatever they do, and you just sit there silently, most of the people will assume you agree. And your silence actually strengthens those arguments. So thinking in terms of opposing lying, betrayal, slander, and defamation. And thinking as well in terms of using your words only to defend, speak well of, and put the best possible construction on things. I urge you to take a moment to consider the people you follow on Twitter, the blogs you read, the news sites you browse, the videos you watch on YouTube, and the folks you engage with on Facebook. Consider the things you tweet and share and post about. And let me ask, are the things you post and read online promoting truth, and protecting the reputation of others? Or are you willing to read and possibly to share rumor, innuendo, slander, and accusation? Do you read, support, like, share, post, tweet, or retweet vitriol, unkindness, disrespect, or dishonor? Are you willing to entertain accusations about people without ample evidence? 
Are you willing to spread, uh, share those accusations without first attempting to go to that party and at least find out their side of the story? Do you defend people who are harshly, cruelly, or unjustly criticized even if you don't particularly agree with them? Is your internet and social media conduct clearly standing against the coarseness and ugliness of modern discourse, or is it actually adding to it? Would President Trump consider your post insulting, hurtful, or disrespectful? How about President Obama or Colin Kaepernick? In short, is your social media behavior, both what you take in and what you send out, honoring or dishonoring to the ninth commandment? Because the answer will tell you whether your social media conduct is honoring or dishonoring to the Lord. This is a huge deal. Such a big deal to us at Resurrection. We are very soon going to be asking all the leaders in the ministry to agree to some social media standards. Finally, not only does this commandment have ramifications for your politics and your social media behavior, but it also has ramifications for your life and development as a follower of Jesus. Your life and development as a disciple who disciples others, which is exactly what Jesus has called you to be. As a disciple of Jesus, you should always be looking for ways to learn and grow and change for him. And you should always be looking for ways to help others learn and grow and change for him. And all of that requires speaking the truth, but doing so in love. As the Apostle Paul explains, speaking the truth in love, we will, all, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. And I've got to tell you, this suggests pretty plainly to me that until we begin lovingly engaging each other in truth, calling each other on our crud, we will not be the disciples we're supposed to be, and we will not grow up in Jesus. Christians must stop communicating slander, gossip, pettiness, and rumors and start speaking the truth in love to the world and to one another. We must replace talking about people with talking to them. I'm going to say that again. We must replace talking about people with talking to them really have to stop getting together with this group of friends to complain about this group of friends. That's not okay. That is a violation of the ninth commandment and an affront to the kingdom life God's called you to live. If we're going to be kingdom people, if we're going to live kingdom lives, if we're going to go out there and do kingdom works, then we must develop a kingdom culture. And kingdom culture is discipleship culture which means we speak to, we're constantly trying to change and grow, and we're speaking to each other, calling each other to change and grow, replacing criticism with godly confrontation, complaining with godly confrontation. Just yesterday, my children called me out twice on saying things that were not as gracious or as uh, redemptive as they should have been. And my wife was right there cheering them on. 
when we confront one another in a godly fashion, when we speak the truth in love, it's never to shame or, or, or uh, to um, put someone in their place. It's not to exasperate the person, but it is to help, to call them to Jesus and the gospel, to call them up into what God has for them. It's always with redemptive intent. We share the gospel with the lost, hoping they'll come to new life with Jesus. in Jesus. We share the gospel with one another, hoping we'll grow up in Jesus, hoping we'll become more like him, loving him, knowing him, serving him better. Speaking the truth in love, Paul says, then we'll grow up in all things into him who is the head. One final thought, and then I close. All right. The commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, specifically addresses the use of your tongue, and by extension, all other means of communication. But it's worth noting here, then, that the Bible says, no man can tame the tongue. And so it is my duty and my privilege to remind you that what no human being can do, God most certainly can. And so when it comes to walking out this commandment, as it comes to walking out all the commandments, you must look to the finished work of Jesus. If you are a Christian, then in Christ, God has already credited to your account the honesty and integrity and truthfulness of Jesus. If you are a Christian, Right now, God is working inside of you by his word and through his spirit to bring that character up and out of you and release it into the world around you. And if you are not a Christian, you can become one this morning in this very room. And in a few moments, I'm going to introduce you to some people who'd love to pray with you if that's something that you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, as always, for the power and the clarity of your word. Lord, you speak truth to us because you are a God of truth. Jesus, you said you're the way and the truth and the life. Lord, we believe you because you're true. We believe your word because you're true. And we want to conform our lives to it. Because in addition to being true, you're good. And you love us and you want what's best for us. Help us to conform our politics, our social media activity, and our, our lives as disciples of Jesus to the truth and to justice, to the things you desire, that we might be kingdom people doing kingdom works in this world, that your kingdom might come and your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the